Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Good Grow Great podcast. I'm Talia Toha and this is Six Degrees of Greatness. This is the episode where we sit down with one, two, three different people from various different backgrounds, people who are just starting out, people who are um, in business, people who are 10 years already uh, in their profession, whatever that might be. The goal is so that you guys can listen in on what we're works for them, what hasn't really worked for them, and really just unpack and dissect things that you want to adopt and then adapt into your life so that it works for whatever season of your life that you're in or whatever purpose that you want to to advance and whatever type of personality that that works for you. So today, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We're going to be sitting down with Christina Rianoff. And Christina, what's cool about her is that she is ranked top 12 in international Latin dance when she competed uh, professionally. And she also starred and choreographed in UK's most viewed BBC One show, Strictly Come Dancing. And she had recently founded a well-being center called So Yoga. And we'll also be hearing from mother and son duo, Joe and Harry Parker, who, who turned years of experience tutoring into a new business venture called Flashies, which recently received the rating stamp excellent from Trustpilot. So many things that we're going to be excited to dive into, including how Christina deals with high pressure situations in this show strictly and behind the scenes of what it really takes to become a high demand master of your craft profession and calling and also easier ways that joe and harry themselves have difficult conversations among them you know having this personal relationship and bringing it into the professional realm what does that look like when you have to have that with your family friends colleague clients whoever else and also what moving from russia to u.s to the uk had taught christina about other people and also we're going to be covering a number of other things including the single most important way that Christina had reinvented herself after her mother's stint with alcoholism and also two things that she did that helped her find success after a dyslexia diagnosis and what I'm excited to also share with you is how Joe also turned a lifelong passion into a new source of income something that I'm sure a lot of us and a lot of you guys are going hmm, you know what I love doing that but how do I earn from it how do I do it handsomely in a way that's meaningful to me and of course we're also going to be talking about ways to deal with giving guilt or shame when you're wondering if you should really be sharing your personal story to the public, right? This is something that a lot of people struggle with, especially if they're introverted, especially if they're uncomfortable with certain, uh, you know, things that they've done in the past or have, have gone through and maybe are ashamed of. Like, is this something that we should be disclosing? Things like that, right? Uh, and also, of course, what Joe and Harry did to create and sell over 1,000 of their offerings in a short period of time. So, so many things that we can dive into. I'm so, so thrilled. And as you can see, there's a huge, rich range of topics, and um, and the industry is different, of course, with Christina being in the health space, with Joe and Harry being in the educational space, right? So this should really give you compelling and juicy ideas on how you can do the same, or how can you do something slightly differently, but taking pointers from these amazing, amazing guys. So without further ado, though, guys, before we get started, be sure to hit that follow 
add, subscribe, collect, and download button because that way when we share even more meaningful stories like this, we get to tell you and share you about it and you will have it right at the tip of your finger um, in your phone and your tablet or computer, whatever that might be. So let's dive in, Grow Solvers. Right. Uh, Christina, Joe and Harry, welcome to the podcast. So good seeing you guys here. Thank you, Talia. Nice to meet you. Amazing. Well, I'm excited to sit down and chat with you guys. I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation. Uh, before we chat all of the amazing things and projects that you guys have uh, are working on, I do want to actually first go to Christina. And because um, I'm curious, Christina, because you are or you were a professional dancer and you choreographed for um, UK's BBC One show, which, of course, is much beloved, Strictly Come Dancing. And I think 2008 up till 2016. Right. So share with us, I mean, a little bit about kind of behind the scenes. What does it look like from you know, your stand standpoint as a performer, like how much commitment and time is involved and what does that look like for you? Um, I came to the show in 2008 straight from competitive world and literally just finished in top 12 uh, in the world and professional division. And my partner decided to stop competing. And so I thought it was in crossroads and I thought, okay, let's see what's out there. And sort of got my audition for Strictly. Um, and when I arrived um, to the show, I, I didn't know what to expect because, like I said, I was in a competitive world and it was something very, very unusual to me, all this sort of the, the glitz and glamour of the um, TV. So I just sort of thought it would be in the way same as competitive world. You know, have to really prepare for, well for, you know, your competitions and work really hard. But the um, the world of TV is so different because so much going on behind the scenes and then it's sort of all um, going live and you literally have like a minute to prove yourself um, as a dancer and also performer and also choreographer. And so that was really, really full on. And um, there were so many people behind the scene, the productions, the management companies, you know, that look after all different things like our costumes and makeup and, and the sound systems and all that. So it was really, really sort of uh, overwhelming when I joined the show. And like I said, coming out from competitive world, I kind of wasn't prepared really for all that. And also like public attention, all of a sudden people recognize who you are on the streets. Um, so it was, it was very overwhelming, I must say. Um, and it's only got sort of better or worse. I don't know what the right word would be here through the years because it kind of grew and it became even bigger. But, you know, it's, it's a lot of, um, pressure, I would say, a lot of pressure and a lot of stress as well. A lot, it's a kind of like emotional roller coaster. You literally go from sort of very high and feeling amazing to really low and feeling down because perhaps you danced and were great on the night or something else happened and you got eliminated or whatever. So it's 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 very really it's really hard to describe, you know, because unless you're experiencing it and living it, it's really tough to say what it's really like. It's intense. That's the good word probably for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I love that you actually what's interesting to me is that because you came from the competitive world. And yet you you 
talked about how there are all of these different elements that's highly unusual, right? Like the public attention and just the chaos mm-hmm. behind the scenes or backstage and how you only have like one minute to, to, you know, to really show the work that you've done for weeks, perhaps even. So I thought it's interesting because you would think that the competitive world is actually more that than than strictly, but um, but that is interesting that you you, you said mm-hmm. that. And I'm kind of curious because you know I do want to backtrack for a minute here before we go to Joe and Harry. Uh, I you know I think it's interesting for me to learn and have met and to have learned about so many beautiful you know artists and dancers and just really really powerful performers performers from. Is it that you're originally from Russia? Is it correct, Christina? Correct. Yeah, originally from Russia. And um, then I moved to the States. I was invited to compete professionally there and teach. So I moved uh, in 2001 to United States, to Seattle, Washington, and lived there for quite some time and then moved to LA. And yeah, then then ended up here <laughs> in the UK. Yeah. So what is it? Why is it that um, and I'm kind of curious, it might have been, you know, you, you can enlighten us because we have listeners in, you know, so many different countries, you know, Russia, including, of course. And I'm just kind of curious to hear a little bit more about why, you know, you guys are such great dancers and performers and athletes. Is that something that is very, it's, is, it, is it part of what you grew up with? I suppose so, because um, obviously my generation, we're looking at the, um, we were still, like when we were young, we were still Soviet Union. And, you know, the, um, we, we as kids were very much kind of, um, how would I say, sort of, um, we were given a lot of opportunities, you know, like to go to any classes, we were encouraged to go and take whatever you like, dancing, singing, acting, any sports, because it was all uh, all paid by government. You know, my parents who um, both engineers wouldn't be able to, pay for classes if I it was a all kind of commercialized how what it is now but back then it was kind of really your choice you can go and try different things and I did I've done some piano lessons a bit of ballet a bit of musical theater but I really loved ballroom dancing I loved competing aspect of that and we were very much encouraged you know and also of course we were taught discipline not to let him letting yourself kind of down, not letting down your team, your partner. And I think that suited me well because I, I took it, you know, with me around the world, that attitude that, you know, you have to work as a team, you have to uh, don't let anyone down, you know, sort of that, that, that I think sort of, um, um, I don't know, the, the, the Russian way, you know, to, to, to do the job no matter what. And, um, you know, I think also we, we're a very emotional nation, you know, I, I think there is a music understanding that Russians are very cold and sort of we don't really show emotions. <laughs> it might be true if you just meet someone from Russia because we also, you know, I mean, life is tough. We maybe not opening ourselves up right away. But behind closed doors at home, any sort of um, birthday party, any party really, any celebration would be always with music, always with dancing, always with singing. So we're very much kind of a nation who love to get up and dance. And it would be everybody from kids to grandparents. You know, that's how I grew up. It was really odd to me when I moved to the States. And it was, I think, my first um, like Christmas in New Year and nobody would want to come up and dance. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? And and um, it's just kind of different approach, you know, I think in different ways. But we, in, in my sort of, um, you know, uh, nation, it's a normal way to celebrate life and celebrate really anything. So, yeah. 
Mm, that's wonderful. Well, I always love hearing just how different people uh, grew up differently because I think it's really important for us to to take out certain, you know, not take out certain perspective, but really place ourselves in new and uh, different perspectives because I think that's how we can creatively grow, whether that's, you know, it doesn't matter if it's business, doesn't matter if in your space, you know, kind of health and well-being and dance and yoga, uh, right? And all of these things because we pull from multiple different domains. And that's really what's what makes our lives, you know, just absolutely beautiful. I do have one uh, question before we move to Joe and Harry, um, you know, because you mentioned that you had moved, you know, just around the world, Russia, US, right, uh, UK, all of these different places. And, you know, I've met a lot of global citizens in the past who grew up just with different, you know, very, very different uh, cultures throughout. And they seem to have a very unique perspective on life and on work. And I'm just kind of curious to hear what your take on is, uh, your take uh, would be on, you know, what you learned, maybe one of the most important things that you learned having moved to many different places and Mm -hmm. how it had informed or maybe not informed the way that you look at life. Because I know that when I moved halfway around the world from, you know, the Southeast Asia and Indonesia, beautiful tropical weather and just being dropped in, in the middle of, you know, suburban America, I wasn't really too thrilled about it. I was just kind of like, okay, what's going on? You know, what is this? I don't enjoy it. But with time and just through the passage of time, um, I really learned the values of, of some of them and just really learned about the, the beautiful work and the value of what um, other people can bring. Can you share about maybe one thing that you learned having moved so much in your life? Yes, I think the main thing is to to um, take your time to understand the culture and not to be judgmental right away. Just because it's different, it doesn't mean it's bad. I think it was very big culture shock when I moved out of Russia to America. I didn't speak English at that time at all. It was quite difficult, you know, a um, um, couple of first months, I was obviously taking lessons in the evening. And then during the day, I was teaching like Russian kids dancing and also um, uh, working with my dance partner, you know, um, sort of kind of trying to get into competitive um, dancing. It was really difficult, obviously, being so far away and such a deep, kind of see different life. And I think at the beginning, I kind of thought, you know, it's, it's, I'm not sure if I want to stay here. I don't really understand them. They don't understand me. But, you know, I, I obviously grew to love this uh, country and culture because the, 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 the more you live, the more you understand people, you learn about people. And, you know, I've met some truly amazing, most kind people in America. And I don't think it really matters where you live. There is good and bad people everywhere in every country. And I think before judging, you know, you have to sort of um, give it a chance. And same thing with the UK, because I just got used to sort of the way of living in America. And I thought this is where I'm going to stay. But my job and my passion for dancing took me once again to a different country, different culture. And so I landed in the UK and London not knowing anyone at all, not a single soul, just start working at the BBC. Again, very overwhelming experience with all this kind of piling up new um, 
But um, once again, I just kind of thought to myself, okay, I'll, I'll give it the chance. At the beginning, I thought it would be just one, you know, one season on Strictly and I'll go back to America. And this is what I said to all my friends and family. Uh, but, you know, here I am 15, 15 years later. So, so um, yeah, I think the main thing I would say, um, you've got to give it the chance. You know, uh, it, it's it, it's a, at the beginning, it's always difficult. You know, you kind of have to smooth those little ripples and waves. Um, and also because of the competitive side of what I do, when I was competing, I literally was flying across the world pretty much every weekend. There was a different show and a different competition and teaching. Like I was in Japan and then I was in uh, Argentina and then South Africa and then back to uh, Japan or, um, you know, anywhere really in Asia because um, we did a lot of work in Asia. It's, it's actually very big into sort of ballroom dancing. So, so, so many different countries and cultures and um, there is a beauty in everything and everywhere, really. So you just have to be open-minded. I love that. And I, I love the most, I think, your point on giving maybe something that's challenging a chance, right? And we talk on the podcast a lot about how obstacles is, is, are often actually not something that you should avoid per se, but you should some, something that you should perhaps embrace and allow it to just kind of launch yourself into this whole new different experiences, which I think is fantastic. Christina, I want to see if you can maybe expand a little bit about your background. You were talking about how, um, you know, I think, and I think this is really important because you had shared that uh, before we rolled in some of your comments that you were, uh, you are dyslexic and, um, you know, learning another language was hard, right? Being on TV with the cue cards at talking to the cameras and all of that, you were able to kind of overcome. Um, can you walk us through? Because I think I'm a huge supporter of small giants and people who really transform their weaknesses into something that is meaningful, something that is useful for other people and really showing up to serve in, in their own way. So how did you, how were you able to overcome that, um, you know, dyslexia? when you're on TV, for instance? I actually had no knowledge um, that I was dyslexic until I moved to the States. So until I was 21 years old, I just didn't know. And um, I kind of, throughout school, I would struggle maybe a little bit because I was sort of sometimes writing you know, words a bit backwards or or numbers, like somebody would say to me, 78, I put 87. So it was a bit all odd, you know, for me. But at that time, to be honest, in Soviet Russia, it was not, I mean, we like we were talking back like 85, 87, you know, I didn't really, nobody said to me that, um, oh yeah, I have mild dyslexia. And it's something I stumbled on when I moved to the States and I had lots of kids um, who I taught and um, uh, one of the mo- moms said to me, my um, son is dyslexic and it's it's not a strong dyslexia, a little bit. He just kind of sometimes struggles to write things down properly, but he's kind of um, sort of strains into learning choreography and he just so focused, so good at it, you know, just um, basically kind of, I wanted to let you know. And it sort of resonated with me. I was like, oh, that is something how I kind of, I think, operate and feel, you know, somehow 
the dancing, the choreography, for me, it's like a little building blocks, which is very easy for me to put together. And I close my eyes and I see it all in front of me, kind of, um, you know, and, and, but when it comes to writing numbers or, or doing any sort of um, writing in general, it's really hard, really, really hard. So, yes, I just did a little bit of research and then I went to see a specialist and they kind of said, yeah, I have a lack of my dyslexia. And the thing is, you know, it was like 21, you know, 22 when I started kind of understanding things like that. So I became much more aware with, with the children I teach because also I, I kind of understood that actually some kids can have that. Some of them have a severe dyslexia, some very mild. To be honest, I never really... Uh, it never really affected me in a really bad way. I think learning language in another language was super hard, you know, because again, with the spelling, with the writing, it was just such a difficult thing. So I sort of, you know, I kind of <laughs> live my life with an, with understanding that my English isn't perfect and probably never going to be perfect, but it is what it is. And I can't do much about it. With the TV, thankfully, I always had to sort of talk to the camera. I'm not a presenter, so I don't have a cue cards, like obviously Tess Daly, let's say on Strictly. Um, a couple of things when I had to present a few shows, because I also do obviously shows in theaters and I also have my own productions, has done quite a few, have done quite a few around the country. I have those cue cards, but I literally, I memorize them. I, I read them 10 times each and they stuck in my head because I can't read the cue cards, you know, I'd rather memorize everything. And it, it, it's like in my head is that script, you know, rather than read them because that will stress me out. <laughs> so that's kind of how I operate with that. So I love that you actually, what I love about that story is that you essentially just kind of found your own process, right? Pre and post discovering that you did have dyslexia. And I think it's interesting that you, you discovered it quite later in your life, because I think most people usually get diagnosed with it earlier on. And, um, but you've lived through and you've had success, you know, as you know, obviously as a competitor with this dyslexia. And it wasn't until later that you, like you said, you sought help and you research things on your own. So I think it's very encouraging to for people to hear this because it means that it's, you know, A, it's never too late and B, um, there's no excuse because Christina's doing it, you know, <laughs> like, and so I think it's really, really fascinating and just an absolute encouragement to everyone to, to just kind of you know, whatever the, what people would think as weakness is not really a weakness. You know, it's only a weakness and we think that it is. So I exactly. think that's absolutely a great, um, a great lesson there. Um, I do want to circle back to um, Joe and Harry here who, um, and earlier on, I asked you guys uh, about, you know, what it was like to kind of take on this new venture as a mom and son duo and how that came about because essentially very, not that it's unusual, but there are cases where it worked really great. But there are also cases where, you know, because of the relationship and the, the dynamic, it also didn't work greatly. So um, how did that collaboration come about, you guys? And I'll, I'll throw this maybe first to to Harry, just to kind of give a, a little bit of a voice to, to the child, because, you know, parents, and I'm a parent as well, I include myself in this, we, we love to speak on behalf of our child. So let's go to Harry and then Joe. It's been a good opportunity, really, working together. I mean, I've always seen mum teaching maths. I know she's really good at it. Um, and I just thought that I could maybe bring something to the table in terms of turning her sort of crazy stories and characters that she uses to teach maths 
into something that can help a much sort of wider variety of people. Um, I mean, it's really useful that we live together and we do know each other really, really well. I know her strengths and um, she knows mine as well. And we also know the things that we don't really like doing. Um, so, and it, it's a, it's such a close relationship that there's not really the same maybe frictions that normal businesses would see. So you could have those sort of casual conversations really, really easily. Um, whereas in a maybe a more normal office setting, you'd have to schedule meetings or just have things a bit more formalized. So, I mean, I think it's been great so far and fingers crossed it can continue to. Fabulous. How about how about Joe as a mother? What does it mean to you to and what does it feel like to now being in essentially in business with with your son? Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. And it's just as as Harry said, it's working so well. Um, we literally can just bounce ideas off each other. And sometimes I'll get a little bit carried away. Um, and Harry will sort of rein me in a bit. But there's no um, as, as Harry said, like in a corporate situation, there might be friction with that, but there isn't here. Um, but also in the other side of it, if one of us isn't really um, feeling it, we can say, no, that's not going to work. And again, it's we can both see it. So, for example, um, I remember I wanted on the back of one of our flashcards, I wanted um, quite a lot of words. And I was saying, oh, no, we're going to write this. And we can write this. And Harry said, no, no, we really don't need to. We can. It doesn't need to have all those all that word and when he wrote down what he said it, it was a lot better than what I'd originally thought to write this is I love this kind of example because this happens all the time right um, whether you're working with someone you know or slightly know don't know or just newly know um, you know family or otherwise it's this these conversations tend to happen. I'm so glad that you brought up really the importance of being able to tell the truth to each other. But I think also when you're in business with in just with yourself or those of those people who are listening, it is important to have these conversations. Um, you know, even if it just means okay, writing things down, okay, what's important here? Why is this why will this work? Why will this not work as a business owner, right? Because those are important. But even more deeply, I want to go a little bit more deeply with with Harry and Joe here because I know that, you know, having been in business for a number of years and having helped a ton of businesses from various different, um, you know, corners of the world, I, I find that, you know, having difficult conversations um, can actually be more important than having, you know, easier conversations. Again, whether that's with your business partner or with ourselves um, or with our own clients, right, people who we serve. And so as kind of, again, with the relationship that you've cultivated and just beautifully grown over the course of the years, how have you guys been, um, you know, having these these difficult, perhaps, conversations about decision making in your business that perhaps the listeners um, of this podcast episode can then learn from and adopt and adapt in their own way? So um, what are some examples that perhaps you can share about having those difficult conversations? Well, I mean, simple as this is, if Harry doesn't do as he's told, he gets sent to his room, just like any other child. <laughs> <laughs> No, there's been um, plenty of um, different opportunities for us to, as I said, I, th I think the great thing is that there's no competition between us. We're not both trying to um, get one-upmanship on each other. Um, we both we both come up with different ideas, sort of like talk them through, and we both work together to see which ones would work best. I mean, um, 
examples, as I said, maybe like on the back of the box, what we were trying to work out the best way to write that. Um, I, when we were doing the times tables pack, um, I knew that the rhymes would really work with the picture. Um, Harry wasn't quite sure whether we needed the picture as well, but when he saw the kind of ideas I'd come up with, he said he sort of like could see my point of view on that. And I, I think you're absolutely right about that. The difficult decisions that need to be made are those that you start off in different sort of um, corners of the ring and. The easy, the easy decisions, on the other hand, are those where you both agree at the beginning and there isn't really a decision to be made. Yeah, so they, those tricky decisions that we've had to make over time inc- include those that Mum said. There's also been decisions around where to spend marketing. And it just comes down to looking at not only the pros and cons, but the potential regret in the future, I think. And with certain decisions like that, the big ones which will impact effectively because we're such a small business or have been over the last year we needed to really evaluate whether we would regret not going ahead with something and it seems like quite a um a weird approach to take but i feel like that's such an important way to really feel like um you're putting your all into something like this is that you feel like you really don't have any regrets yeah, no, I don't think it's a weird uh, approach, actually. I think it's a very wise approach. And I we talk about that a lot on the podcast, really the the value of, you know, um, regret in relation to really what we want to leave behind. And how do we want to live our lives in the next five, 10 years or so, right? And what do our kids want to remind, remind, remember us by? Or what do they want to say about us? What do our neighbors, what should they talk about us when, you know, when we're long gone? And so I think uh, regret is really, I think, for some reason, we all have these negative connotations with regret. I think it's actually there purposefully so that we are always in check, right? We're always kind of going to our North Star and whether this makes sense for the business. Is this something that's going to make sense for us or is this something that um, is going to make a difference? So uh, I'm loving your point, Harry, on, on regret and um, and just kind of the ability to lean into it as a source of strength and as a source of enlightenment and direction, which I think is absolutely fabulous. Now, now we're going to circle back to you guys in just a second. And I wanted to actually, um, at this point, um, go back to Christina. And, you know, because we're talking about, you know, relationships, whether that's personal or professional, um, you know, with people who we're close with, regrets, um, things that we're proud of, things that we remember, and and just cherish in our memories. Um, Christina, you had shared earlier on, in your autobiography, Dancing Out of Darkness, which I think is a fabulous title, by the way, just a beautiful choice of title. And you had spoken, you know, openly, essentially about how, you know, you're you're bringing up in Russia and how your mother became an alcoholic after she divorced your dad. Uh, and then, you know, you lost her to cancer. And I think your ability to so authentically be raw and open about this story is really uh, definitely a, a an inspiration, I think, to, to all of the listeners who's going to listen a little bit more about this. But I wanted to go back to, in your autobiography, Christina, you had, to, it's called Dancing Out of Darkness, which again, is just a lovely, lovely title, which I absolutely love. You had spoken openly about your bringing up in Russia and how your mother became an alcoholic and 
how she divorced her dad, and she also lost her mom to cancer. So a lot of things going on here in your family. And I think when we each go through something difficult in our lives, a lot of times the inclination is to just shut down. Right. And just to basically, you know, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm going to I'm not going to pursue something that I'm passionate about or maybe fall into depression. I wanted to actually ask you how you um, how you process through that phase and how you kind of came out of that darkness. I know that maybe dancing has a part of it. So maybe expand a little bit more about what are some things that you did um, that helps to kind of bring you to this place where you are today that that can help the audience who's listening? I think dancing was always part of my kind of healing process and also a ability to express myself who I truly am. Because at home, when I was little, um, it was a lot of negativity when parents were... Um, you know, obviously having rows and, you know, all this kind of led to divorce. And um, I kind of naturally wanted always to escape and just be in my dance studio as long as I can be. So I, don't, I didn't want to go home. So I think dance studio was always my kind of um, safe place and where I felt most um, happy, comfortable, able to express myself. When um, obviously my parents were going through divorce and I was a teenager, I, I, any teenager struggles with a lot of things and, and hormones all over the place and, and, and feeling like nobody maybe understand them and love them. But on top of that, when you're not perhaps so much um, um, attended to by parents because they're dealing with their own trauma. So then obviously when the parents divorced and dad left and mom kind of was left to pick up the pieces. And then on top of that, my grandmother got diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. So, which obviously wasn't incurable. It was just a matter of, um, time you know really and so my mom we well I found out when my mother died I actually called my mom to work and I asked because I wanted to talk to her I can't remember what it was about and one of her co-workers said to me well actually she had to go to the hospital because her mom died so that's how I found out about my grandmother uh, died because I knew she was sick but my mom never told anybody that she was terminally ill and she was carrying all of that inside because obviously that way she protected me and um, her younger sister, who is kind of more like sister to me because we're only five years apart and they're 17 years apart. So none of us in the family knew that my grandmother, you know, has a terminal cancer. So my mom struggled with all of that on her own, you know, and dealing with that on her own and obviously alcohol perhaps. Now I can understand that it was her way kind of, Drowning herself and the sorrow and the pain and ability to just kind of cope with life, um, cope with the divorce, cope with raising me by herself and then dealing with, with the, you know, with obviously, um, the, the, the uh, her mom's, uh, uh, illness. So it's, it's, it's been really difficult time, but, you know, like I did not even half of it, if you wish, you know, so looking back, obviously understanding what was happening with my mom, you know, um, from this sort of adult point of view is very different to what I felt then, you know, I have anger, I had, you know, I, I was upset with her. I thought she was in the way neglecting me and just were dealing with her own issues. And then she was drinking and all of that. So because as a child, like I, you know, I, I didn't know what was really going on. It's just I was going through my own kind of things and how I saw things. So, yeah, when I was writing the book, there was for me... Um, it was very much like almost a therapy, you know, in a way to talk about it and understand things from sort of, uh, 
you know, perspective on adult. And, you know, I, I actually don't know how my mom coped with all of that, you know, on her own. And yes, she ended up in the um, rehab uh, a few times. And now I'm over 25 years sober. And I'm obviously very proud of her that she was able to do that. But when you're a teenager, when you're a 12-year-old girl dealing with parents' divorce, not really ability to speak to your mom and, you know, also losing your grandmother who was for me kind of, you know, like a person who I loved at that point, I felt the most and she was so kind and, and caring. It was very tough. And so dancing was my kind of, um, you know, little haven, you know, the dance studio where I was always dancing and, and feeling happy because for that period of time, while I was there, I felt me, you know, I felt like, you know, I just, I'm happy and I, I can forget about everything else in the world. That That's the power of dancing because it's just, you cannot have anything else in your mind but that sort of music and, and the movement. Mm, so what I love, actually, there's a few things that I, I love that you, that about what you just said is, is actually, and I was just talking about this with some other person about how sometimes when there's movement in your body, whether that's a, going for a walk or going for a run or just maybe just going dancing, like you're, you're, you just said, and professionally dance even to, to your level, there's something about the movements that really empties out, you know, everything that we have in my, our, our brain. It's almost like our brain became laser focused in those specific you know, movements that it really clears the head in just uh, in a way that I think I don't think anything else could. I think that's the same with exercising, you know, which is really, really fascinating. So, um, but I think what really kind of struck a chord with me is, you know, not only that, you know, you, you reflected upon this period with, you know, much thoughtfulness, but more importantly, you were able to share this story with the world through your book and now on this podcast, of course, um, with with everyone. And I think this is hard for a lot of people because when they go through something that's difficult, something that maybe they aren't sure about or can't process in the past, still are processing, uh, you know, sometimes the, the default mechanism is to not say anything, but you've taken a different approach and you decided to share that with other people, right, in your book. Now, why, why is it the case so that people who's listening, who's perhaps going through something and debating whether they should share their story or not with the world can also kind of take pointers and decide whether they should, uh, they should follow suit? It's hard to share personal stories stories like that. They're deeply personal. And also when you like a child, when you're a teenager, you don't really know how to talk about it. You know, you feel ashamed. You feel like you want to pretend that none of this is happening. You don't want anybody to know that this is happening in your world. Um, I kind of felt like I, I wanted to pretend that it doesn't exist. None of this exists. You know, this is how I wanted to be at that point. I wanted to black it out, you know, put it in a box and, and, and basically when I close the doors of my flat and walk into the street or into my dance studio, it, it's, 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 it's behind me and I didn't want to open the Pandora box, if you wish. And only many years later, you know, nearly 20 years later, I was actually feeling that unless I speak about it, I will always have that that black hole in me, that black black box in me, which I want to get out of me, you know, and I want to 
talk about it and let it out and kind of let other people maybe understand that it's important to find someone to, to, to be able to speak to about things like that. It's really hard to keep it inside for, for years. And, and, you know, like I said, for me, it was almost like just the guilt and the shame. And I didn't think that it was appropriate for me to talk about things like that. Every society is different. I think I only learned later in life that actually I could have told somebody, you know, I could have spoken about it, um, and perhaps, you know, didn't have all that sort of darkness inside me, you know. Um, so when I kind of let it all out, it's almost like a massive weight of my shoulders came down, you know. I was like, oh, and breathe, you know. It was just a really cleansing kind of um, experience, you know, writing that book. So, yes. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm a big believer in that, you know, what we leave behind is really not so much what's uh, similar to Pericles. I think Pericles quoted this is that it's not really so much in what's written in the stone monuments, but what's kind of interwoven into the lives of others. And I think that relates to your story in that, you know, your, you know, we all think that something that is awful or sad or something that was a bad experience for us need to be locked away when in fact, when we share it with other people, not only is it helpful to other people, it's actually also helpful to us, right? And, um, you know, challenges even something lighter that, that we've had difficulties with, you know, it, it's useful for us to get this out there. You know, I think that's so, so on point. So I love that you shared that, Christina. Um, I actually want to go to Joe and Harry here and, and ask them because I think, I wonder if, you know, when you guys decided to to start your venture here, um, you know, recently to to help people with you know their studying and tutoring and everything else, um, was there an element of the reason why you started that is because you know it hasn't always been easy in the past, or you've seen maybe your friends or family struggled with you know studying, and it's it's been a challenge and how it really impacted you know their lives and made it difficult for them. Um, well, I met. I'm an actual maths tutor, so I teach little ones uh, maths, mainly primary school um, children. And what I found was that um, with children at school, primary school maths is taught in such a prescribed way. Um, And I just wanted to I just found that whenever I um, explained a topic to a child in a in a funner way that they could really relate to, then they remembered it Um, rather than it just being. Um, as I said, a prescribed method that just got forgotten. The moment there was a story to relate to, um, so for example, um, so for example, when we're doing like area and perimeter, I would always talk about perimeter, my naughty dog who would always escape out of the garden and I'd always draw a picture. The rectangle would be in my garden and I'd explain how that naughty dog kept escaping out of the fence so um, my poor husband would have to go off to the um, B&Q and buy more fence and then babes then say so how much fence did we have to buy for that naughty dog called perimeter and then they'd always remember perimeter is the naughty dog that escapes out of the fence area is my beautiful beautiful pussycat who I name after Ariel from the little mermaid and um, she sleeps because um, or she loses her fur all the time. She sleeps on a timesing tile to stop her fur going everywhere. So Aria, the beautiful pussycat, sleeps on a timesing tile. And it's just that um, sort of um, remembering it through the stories. Um, and 
then one of the most um, important stories that I tell the um, really little children is I noticed that they found it really difficult to remember the different numbers that go together to make 10, for example. So I'd say to them, what do we have to add to four? to make 10 and they'd always count it on the fingers. So I'd go four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, till they got to six. Um, and so I said, well, look, let's draw number four as a chair. And I said, well, look, here's number six with his great big fat bottom, which would always cause lots of giggling. Um, look at number six with his great big fat bottom sitting on the number four chair. And then they instantly remembered that four and six went together to make 10. So instead of having to then try and calculate it on their fingers, they could straight away know that four and six made 10. And then we'd have number three, a butterfly with the number seven and 10 I. And again, it was just I could then say if we were doing a sum together, I could say, oh, remember who's who's um which animal is number three and they'd say oh it's the butterfly oh that goes with number seven um and it, it just was just an instant recall then for them which just made maths just suddenly become easier because it didn't become a chore so much yeah i absolutely love that approach joe because you know i think when people think about helping others and serving others, whether that's children or, you know, with Christina's case, you know, in your yoga uh, world and fitness and, um, you know, you're helping prenatal moms even, right? It's always about allowing them to really benefit in a meaningful way and making it easier for them, right? Not just easier, but in your case, Joe, fun, right? Something that's that's so much easier than like, okay, do X, Y, Z, you know? And I remember growing up and I was like, oh, I can't, I, if I have to hear one more saying about how I'm supposed to learn this, it all just kind of, you know, it's just not fun at all. And you just, you just turn off, right? So I love, love, love your point there, Joe. Um, now, believe it or not, we are coming to the conclusion of our conversation. So I want to actually uh, let Christina and Joan Harry share, um, if you guys want to share with the audience where the audience can perhaps learn from you, whether that's a website or maybe one of your social pro, um, you know, profiles, um, that way they can check you out, learn more and follow your work and um, and hopefully uh, find ways to to get support from you guys. So I'm going to let Christina share first and then we'll go to Joe and Harry and we'll wrap up the interview. Christina, go ahead. Well, after living strictly and having my little girl, I decided to go back into sort of teaching dancing, but also was always majorly into yoga. When I moved to the States, I started taking yoga classes and it just gave me that another understanding how I can move my body, but in a mindful way and also have amazing sort of control of the mind. And it really enhanced my competitive dancing too. So I became a massive yoga devotee. And then I've decided to take um, uh, lots of different yoga teacher training and open a well-being center where I would teach a bit of everything. Because to me, dancing is also yoga. Yoga is a philosophy of living. And there are so many kind of things in, in that philosophy is loving yourself and loving others and being kind to yourself and learning all these beautiful techniques of breath work and movement, which is very much similar to dancing. So two years ago, I opened So Yoga in Northampton and spelled S-O-O, yoga, so double O. And everybody can find me on my website. It's soyoga.com or on the um, web 
through the website, there is also handles for Instagram and Facebook, and it's S O O Yoga, so Yoga UK. So you can definitely find me there, and I'll answer any questions. We have such a massive range of different classes for children and and adults. You know, I teach family yoga and kids yoga and all sorts in between. Uh, there is tons and tons of different things. But we do a lot of also well-being sessions and all different subjects because now mental health issues are so, so sort of a, a topic of conversation with all the lockdowns and the things that's happening in the world. So I'm very passionate about helping others, mostly moms like myself, who always have that ma- major guilt about taking time for themselves. So kind of getting rid of the mommy guilt and getting them on the mat at least for 30 minutes a day to give back to yourself. So, so you're going to come find me, write to me. I'll be very happy to answer that. Fabulous. Amazing. Definitely check that out, you guys. Uh, let's go to Joe and Harry. Where can people learn a little bit more about your work and follow your work? Well, first of all, Talia, thanks. Um, I just want to say thank you for having us today. Um, it's been really, really great to join and listen to Christina as well. Um, as we said, so our business that we've created is called flashes um that's f-l-a-s-h-i-e-s and in a nutshell i'm not sure whether we've really said but we're just a maths flash company um flash card company sorry and um we've currently got two main products which are our times tables pack and number bonds um and within each you can sort of start from the very very basics and work all the way up to becoming a sort of master in those topics um, they're pitched at children between the sort of the ages of three to nine, depending on the pack and depending on ability. Um, but really and truly, they're just sort of a, a fun way of getting to know um, these main topics in maths. Um, the main places where you could sort of find us would be either on our social medias, where the handles are at flashies one, that's the number one, or at our website, which is www.flashies.co.uk. There you can both purchase the packs and look for some of our free worksheets, which are completely easy to access and cover both of those topics. Hopefully one day we'll, um, well, I mean, plan is certainly to keep on releasing more packs. And um, we've currently got a travel in the flash team, which is based on some flashcards in the works. So we definitely say to um, stay tuned on that one. But yeah. Phenomenal. Amazing, Harry and Joe. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure people are listening and are going to tune into that. And and Christina as well. You guys have been amazing. Thank you to Joe, Harry, Christina. And I want to thank everyone who's listening. Be sure to check out Christina's work. Be sure to check out Joe and Harry's work. I'm going to share everything about them in the show notes. That, that way you can learn more about them. Definitely go check it out. And again, be sure to hit follow, add, save, subscribe, or download this episode so that you can learn more about Christina, Joe Harry, and many other entrepreneurs and purpose-driven individuals. Until then, you guys stay safe, be kind to one another. I'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Amazing, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Oh, 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 oh,